Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mace Way. Good to see you guys tonight. Why don't y'all stand up? There's no reason to sit down for this first one. and drawn, shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn, dig up the rocks and carry it on, trudging through the dark and a world gone wrong, I woke up this morning shackled and drawn, so that's how the chorus goes, alright, you guys feel free to sing along with it when we get there, let's take it from the top, every morning life spins to the shade, bloody older, closer to the grave, closer to the grave and come the dawn, I woke up Shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn. Pick up the rocks and carry it on. Trudging through the dark in a world gone wrong. I woke up this morning shackled and drawn. Thousands of the fields sweat on my shirt. Stand back, son, and let a man work. Little man works that so long I woke up this morning shackled and drawn Shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn Pick up the rocks and carry it on Some poor boy to do in a world gone wrong I woke up this morning shackled and drawn hey. oh, Freedom songs, dirty shirt the saw on my face and the shovel in the dirt A shovel in the dirt keeps the devil gone I woke up this morning shackled and drawn Shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn Pick up the rock, son, carry it on What's the poor boy to do but keep singing this song I woke up this morning shackled and drawn Hey! Hill, up on Banker's Hill, the party's going strong. Down here below, we're shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn. Pick up the rocks and carry it on. Trudging through the dark in a world gone wrong. I woke up this morning shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn, shackled and drawn. Pick up the rocks and carry it on. What's a poor boy to do but keep singing his song? I woke up this morning shackled and drawn. Hey. say is way more boring than what you just heard. Um, hi, everybody. Welcome to Emmaus Way. My name's Sarah. Um, we like to say that we're a community of people captivated by the gospel, and we want to see how that works in our community in Durham and, and at large. Um, one of the awesome ways that works is with this, these little folks right here. Um, how many of you guys 
Little people, how many of you are going to school this week? Who's going to school? Whoa, lots of school. You're going to kindergarten. Awesome. So these guys are going to lead us in a community element. So if you guys could grab your um, sheet up here, you can help me sing the doxology. And Joel's going to lead. back in the back. Um, I want to tell you all welcome. If you're new to us at Emmaus Way, we're extra happy that you're here. Uh, can you tell that they're super excited that school is starting? They're like so excited right now. I wish I was that excited. Um, so if you're new especially, there are lots of ways that you can connect with Emmaus Way. Um, some, one of the easiest ways is you can, there's a green card and a yellow card out in the, Chancy, can you hold up that green card and that yellow card for me, my dear? So the green card, I don't remember which is which, the yellow card, oh, the yellow card is if you're new to Emmaus Way and you want to tell us, um, a little bit about yourself, if you want to sign up for the E-Way Social, or if you'd like to meet with somebody, have coffee or a drink and talk about Emmaus Way, um, you can do that there. And then the green card um, is all the awesome stuff that we do during the week, not on Sunday nights. So we have a pub group that meets on Thursday nights. We have an aesthetics team um, that meets just before pub group every other Thursday. There's a text group. Um, there's a children's ministry. There's all sorts of awesome ways that you can connect. And that's on that green card. Um, another great way, since there's a lot of new folks here, is to consider joining a home group or a small group. Um, if you are interested in joining a home group, um, you can email me. I'm told that my email is on the website. Oh, I'm, I'm smallgroups.amazeway.net. I didn't know that was my email, but that's my email. Um, and I'll be taking care of that um, for a little bit. We've got somebody else is going to do it, but she has fled to Scotland. So she's cooler than I am. So. Um, but if you are a person who is currently in a small group and you have not emailed me um, some information about your small group, like when it meets and what kind of stuff you talk about, where it is, maybe who's in the group, if you guys could do that, that would be awesome. Um, Josh, tell us about Durham Can. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, uh, we're partners with an organization called Durham Can that does grassroots political organizing uh, here in Durham. Um, we've been pretty active lately, just had a meeting with the superintendent and a meeting with the city manager about racism and police uh, work here in Durham. And uh, so all of this is sort of leading to a Metro Council meeting that we're going to have next Thursday night at 6.30, I believe, at Eno River Universalist Unitarian Church. There will be a number of us that will probably be at that meeting, myself, maybe Tim or Dave. Uh, so if you are interested in that, you can email me, artsatamayasway.net, or you can catch me after the service, and uh, we'll be happy to talk about it. Great. Um, 
So this is a, a, big, a big week for us, and a, probably a week of transitions for a lot of you. So just by a raise of hands, how many of you are either going back to teaching, going back to school this week or last week, or your job is significantly changing this week because students are coming back somewhere? There's probably a lot of you. Yeah, all oh, the students are like, I don't want to raise my hand. I am too. Um, we've got... I know, I'm sure we have lots of people that are in this time of transition, but um, I know Nicole, that's Nicole's last week with us. Um, Nicole has been here for a couple years, is that right? Uh oh. Like a year and a half, so like a couple years. Um, <laughs> close enough. <laughs> We're going to bump it up. We always bump up at a Maceway. Um, so, Nicole is. is I, you know, I am personally really sad to see Nicole go, but we're really excited to send her um, off to Atlanta. She's got an awesome job at the CDC in Atlanta, where she's starting the first week of September. Yeah, first week of September. Um, and I know that we've got a lot of transitions this week, so if you guys don't mind, this is not like my strong suit, but if I could just say a quick prayer for all of us that are in transition, especially Nicole, we're really going to miss you. Um, so if you'll just pray with me for a second. Um, God, we come here to Emmaus Way, we come here as a community, um, knowing that last week and this week means an awful lot of transition for a lot of members of our community. Um, We ask that you you be with us in these times of transition. Um, We ask that as members of this community, we can be with each other. in the times when we're really tired, maybe in the times when um, we're not sure what the week will look like, maybe we're moving to a new place and we need to find a new new community. Um, We ask that we can be with Nicole in this time of transition, um, that she knows that this is always her community and that we wanna walk with her in this new path. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Um, Okay, so while the, like, billion-piece band gets back up, um, Mark contacted me, like, yesterday and said, can you do the announcements? And his, why, why he asked for me to do the announcements, first of all, is because he said, I'm always sure that you're about two seconds away from accidentally swearing. (laughs) This is like in an email, literally. So. It's not accidental. It is. Yeah. So the closest that you'll get is suck it. I didn't swear tonight. (laughs) Um, But I think there was also like a secret motive, which is that... um, I don't like Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) And he knows that because Josh is helping with the dialogue tonight, that all we've been listening to all week is Bruce Springsteen at our house. And he knows that there must be like some kind of love-hate relationship with what's about to happen. Um, But um, all joking aside, it's going to be a really great night. And and I think you guys are really going to like it even if I don't. So with that, <laughs> take it away, man. Uh, uh, 
thank you very much. I appreciate all of that. Um, <laughs> so kind of for our next like song couplet, we kind of usually will use this as a, we, we call these like songs of preparation. It's just sort of a time where we, the, this will sort of set, I don't want to say the boundaries, but, but it sort of sets the stage for kind of like where we think the dialogue might go, but you guys are going to participate in that dialogue, so that could change as the night progresses, but... We sort of, I, I want to choose these two songs because I think they show very different sides of Springsteen's work. Um, the first song is sort of his political screed, which, by the way, Reagan, Ronald Reagan used this as his like, theme song in 1984, which is like, I'm just, did you read the words to that? And then I'm like, no, I'm not sure if he read much at all. But he definitely didn't read the words of this. So uh, you'll see, like, if you've only heard the sort of triumphant, you know, if you've only heard the kind of like, born in the USA, then this will probably surprise you um, what he's actually saying lyrically here. So, so that's one thing. And then the song after that is, is much more of like a romantic uh, love song. But I think what's interesting about the second song, Tougher Than the Rest, is that it doesn't actually look anything much like what you expect a typical uh, love song to be. He's not boasting about like how fast his car is or how much money he makes or like how viral he is or whatever um, instead he's, he's boasting in that second song um, that he sort of has the guts to hang in there uh, when a relationship gets tough so I think that's a, a pretty different uh, pretty different kind of love song so I, I really like, like both of these tunes a lot so, it's Born in the U.S.A. Down in a dead man's town The first kick of toes When I hit the ground Feeling the like the dog That's been beat too much Till you spend half your life Just covering up well, Born in the USA Born in the USA Born in the USA Well I was born in the USA Got in a little hometown jam They put a rifle in my hand Cut me off to foreign land To go and kill the yellow man Born in the USA Born in the USA Born in the USA Born in the Home to the refinery Hiring man said Son, if it was up to me Went down to see my VA man He said, son, why don't you understand Well, I was born in the USA Born in the USA Born in the USA Brother, in case son was fighting off the Viet Cong, they're still there, but he's all gone. 
got a little girl in Saigon I got a picture of her in his
maybe your other boyfriend couldn't pass the test. But if you're rough and ready for love, honey, I'm tougher than the rest. tell from Sarah's welcome, I am a huge Bruce Springsteen fan, and I've been very excited about this night for a long time. So normally, when we have the iPod on shuffle, if Springsteen comes up, uh, it's a rule that I have to skip it, but this week I've been able to break that rule, and that's been pretty exciting. So uh, Now's the time in our service where uh, we pass the peace of Christ to one another, so get up, welcome those who are around you. Um, if you would like, there are there's coffee, there's water, there are all kinds of uh, Bruce Springsteen-themed snacks <laughs> back there, which is very uh, exciting. So you'll see, was it Dancing in the Dark Desserts, Glory Days Popcorn, a variety of other things. So please uh, get up, <laughs> greet each other, and we'll call you back in a couple minutes. Right, so tonight for our conversation about Bruce Springsteen, um, we have a guest with us who will hopefully come and join me at the stool, wherever he went. There he is. Um, This is Dr. Gary Glass, um, and he has his own microphone, so I'll let him introduce himself uh, to you. So, Gary, just tell people a little bit about who you are, where you're from, how you got to Durham, all those sorts of things. All right, so I can't believe you introduced me as Dr. Gary Glass. It's not like I have a PhD in Springsteenology. <laughs> but, oh, Sue, sorry about that. I, I can, uh, so I'm a, I'm a psychologist, and, and I guess the relevance to, to that is I, I probably employ the wisdom that comes from uh, poets and songwriters in my, in my work way more than I do the, the textbooks of, of my doctoral program. Uh, so I've been in Durham for, for eight years now. I moved here from 
from Atlanta. So good, good luck down at the CDC. Um, and uh, sort of moved around all my life trying to imitate Woody Guthrie. And uh, so here I am. So you, you don't have a PhD in Springsteenology, but I can attest from what a three, maybe four hour conversation that Mark and I had with you at the Fed that you do know a lot about Bruce Springsteen <laughs> and have a tremendous passion for Bruce Springsteen. So what sort of tell me a little bit about like when did you first start listening to Springsteen? What what are some maybe sort of moments that you remember listening to Springsteen? Um, yeah, a little bit of your history between you and Bruce. Well, when I was when I was around eighteen, I had this vision that there was this spouse of some man who hated Springsteen, and I knew that I would play a role <laughs> in, in, in bringing her to the light. I've been trying for so, almost ten years. It's not working. So. No, I'd heard of I've heard of I had heard of Springsteen, in 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 the you know in the sense of um, you know this this person resulted in lots of posters of adolescence, but it wasn't until I was uh, probably in the tenth or eleventh grade, maybe about five years after Born on the Run came out, that I actually started reading the lyrics, and I remember the the lyrics to the song Meeting Across the River, uh, just this incredibly poignant depiction of somebody so proud about to go commit a crime in order to just get uh, $2,000, which to him meant he was gonna make it, you know, he finally was gonna be a successful person. And to me, there was something about the, the sadness of, of that particular depiction of aspiration that told me that I was not just reading some, you know, rock and roll stars of music. And, and I think, you know, over the years, what uh, I've come to understand is, is that whenever I talk about Springsteen, I start speaking in a Jersey accent, which is not my native country. I'm trying to figure out why this happens. Um, but I, I found that, especially as I began working as a, as a mental health professional, first as a counselor, that, uh, you know, the, Compassion is, is something that you can't have without empathy, and, and his music to me was just such a, a tool of, of empathy. Uh, you know, he, he once commented, the best of his songs places you in another person's shoes, and, and I think that's what hooked me. Yeah, so uh, we, we've, you mentioned there, I think, two things that, that we had talked about is things that Bruce Springsteen seems particularly good at as a songwriter. One is this sort of compassionate... Uh, occupation of another sort of vantage point, usually a, a sort of down and out vantage point. Uh, I think Mark had said that the characters in Springsteen songs are almost always playing their last trick. You get the sense that this is sort of the last roll of the dice. It's the last possible moment at which redemption might show up, and, and oftentimes it does. Um, and and uh, so, but are there other sort of things about him as a songwriter that you found particularly compelling? What do you think his strengths are as a songwriter? You know, I guess I would answer that in, in terms of the, the whole catalog of his work. The, there's, he's one of the most consistent songwriters in terms of, of what happens. And so one of the things that, that he says, and, and, and this is a, a, a quote from, a, from an interview he did, you know, he talks about how you know, the optimism and pessimism are constantly smashing up against each other in his records. And that's where the fire happens. And his reference to fire shows up all over the place. And, and so for me, there's something about 
that either intentional or accidental spiritual way of, of approaching looking at the world. Mm. And, and I, I think that that shows up in his contrast, which is why I, I love that this is linked to, to the Beatitudes. Uh, I think Bruce would, would probably uh, go more towards the ones in Luke because they show not only the blessed, but the woes. And, and, and so, you know, my, my, my biggest appreciation for, for what, what I've learned from him has to do with understanding work and the working life and that the working life is, is, is the life in, in, the, in the world outside of the Garden of Eden. That's, that's the one we're stuck in. And, you know, all of the, the meek, you know, the downtrodden are often depicted in, in that working life. But there's hope and, and, and there's aspiration in, in all of them. And, and he tells a story about how his parents were, you know, trying to get him to do you know, something in, in the working life. You know, as my, my, my mother said, you should be an author, you should write books. You know, my father said, no, 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 you should be a lawyer. You, know, you can make a little something for yourself. And he says, what, what they didn't understand is that I wanted everything. And I think everything for him isn't the fame and glory of being a rock star. He happens to have that. I think everything for him is, is living life, you know, uh, with a, a complete understanding of both ends of, of the polarities, both ends of hope and despair. And, and you know, that's, that's ultimately what he offers, in, in my opinion, and what, you know, he doesn't let us only see, which is what I loved about the, the three songs that, that started us off, you know, shackled and drawn, you know, shackled, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm literally a prisoner of this life, drawn in the sense of I'm exhausted. What's a poor boy do? The end of the song is, is uh, it's the first time he says, what's a poor boy to do but keep singing his song? That's the way of, of salvation. And, and singing isn't just performing, it's really living life to the fullest. And I think love, romantic love in particular, it's not the, you know, the hallmark version of it. It's, it's hard work to, to love. And so I think it just helps us be more honest. Yeah, I think with that, um, I'd love to sort of bring in our other texts for the evening. So uh, throughout this whole series, we have sort of a cultural text, and then we have uh, a text from the Gospels. And so as we mentioned, that text tonight is the Beatitudes. Um, So if you want to turn, it'll be on the back of that front page of your bulletin. One thing I wanted to point out before we read this, and I think it's Chelsea, are you going to read these for us? Um, Before Chelsea reads these, one thing that I found really interesting when we were talking about uh, the possibility of using the Beatitudes at text team um, was Sarah, who's my wife, who's back there in the yellow shirt, um, grew up a Roman Catholic, and she made the comment of, really, we're going to talk about the Beatitudes? Like, I've heard a hundred sermons on the Beatitudes. Why are we going to talk about the Beatitudes? And Mark, coming from a sort of like Baptist and then Reformed background, said, I, I know these texts, but I don't know that I've heard more than maybe two sermons on the Beatitudes. Like, I never heard them preach. And I think what that brings out is two sort of potentially important things. One is that these are somewhat incendiary texts, and ones that if you put them in the pulpit can be fairly dangerous to people in power, the status quo, those sorts of things. But I think the other thing to keep in mind, and this is something we're going to come back to later, is that I think Springsteen's sort of spiritual imaginary, the spiritual way that he looks at the world, is very, very much informed by his Roman Catholicism. 
So we're going to come back to that a little bit, but I think that that may be something to keep in mind, is that uh, he, he is definitely someone who has heard hundreds of sermons on the Beatitudes rather than maybe just two or three. So, uh, Chelsea, if you want to read these for us. So I guess first I'll put the question to you, Gary. Any quick sort of reactions about those texts, whether uh, in the context of Springsteen or outside it? Uh, what is it that jumps out to you about those texts? Uh, two things, actually. The first is that the, the texts you know, weren't just simply announcements of what uh, blessed is. It was a contrast. It was a redefinition of what it meant to be blessed. And, and I think that that's consistent with a lot of what I said and, and the one that really grabs me is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because I think it, it doesn't say blessed are those who are righteous. It, it, it blessed those who are hungry and thirsty for it, which acknowledges the times that we're not as, as still alive, as, as still walking, walking a path that can be, can be blessed. Anyone uh, sort of out in the community, uh, thoughts, things that immediately sort of jump out to you in these passages? Yeah, Ellen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it definitely reminds me of last week in a couple senses, but particularly last week we did this sort of gospel according to children. And children oftentimes, uh, they mess with our paradigm of what it might mean to be, you know, a fully functional human being, right? They aren't in, a, in so many ways, right? They're fully dependent. They have this very quirky way of looking at the world. They're not very good at making money. They, do, they don't do the things that we think adults are supposed to do. And yet, for whatever reason, Christ seems to say, you need to be like this if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? So I think that's an excellent, yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, Jordan. I've always uh, focused on peacemakers as some sort of diplomacy. Mm. Uh, but in the last few months, I've seen those in medical professions as true peacemakers because there's so much this destruction when a child is sick or when a family member is dying or, or passed. And for someone to come in and give a good answer, give guidance, give palliative care, give these things, it's truly a peacemaker. It's something that's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely. Jordan, uh, for those of you who don't know, works at Duke Hospital and with Duke Children's Hospital, right? Yeah, I know you're not a physician, but I'm just saying <laughs> that you have been in contact with people in those situations recently. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, another one that I had thought about, one that we're going to come back to, is that the Luke passage says, for those of you who are hungry now, right, that it has this sort of futural posture. It's looking into the future. We're going to, we're going to come back to that. But, yeah. The third one I've seen out actually is there's a, there's a sort of second person edge mm. as opposed to a third person edge. So in Matthew, it's those who are hungry, those who mourn, and Luke, it's you. Right. right. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, so what I want to do now is I want to bring the band back up. Um, and we did this when we did the, the Gospel According to Nick Lowe. I think uh, when we're considering the work of a songwriter, uh, it can be particularly helpful to sort of put the texts right next to one another. So we've just been thinking about the Beatitudes. I want you to keep those in mind. Um, but now we're going to hear a Bruce Springsteen song that, as Mark and I were talking, sort of emerged as, I think, the, the, the natural fit is the most... The, uh, sort of the most perfect encapsulation of so many of the things that we wanted to highlight about Springsteen's music. So this is a song that we've done a couple times before. We did it at Easter last year. Um, but as we're go, going through Atlantic City, be, uh, beginning to think about some of the connections that might present themselves between the Beatitudes and uh, Springsteen's work. I was going to say this, and I, <clears throat> I feel like it's not fair. I have enough, I, I get enough airtime tonight as it is. But, you know, one of the things that actually sort of, like, rubs me the wrong way a little bit in the scripture that I can just say is how when I have, so the two times that I have heard this preached on, <laughs> like I feel like one of the things that I would have heard out of that in, in the context that I was a part of um, at the time would have said like, so verse 12 out of Matthew where it says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And that sense of like, just sort of shut your mouth for now because you're going to get something good someday. You know, don't complain. And which I don't think is the reading at all. I mean, I, I think that that is a complete distortion of what of what is being said here. But I, but I, I'm aware of like ways that that was ground into me in certain ways. And so I hope that some of the storytelling that happens in some of these songs actually helps free us up to maybe read things in a different way uh, than we might have otherwise. This is Atlantic City. Well, they blew up a chicken man in Philly last night Now they blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk they're getting ready for a hell of a fight I'm gonna see what them racket boys can do 
Now there's trouble busting in from out of state And the DA can't get no relief There'll be a rubble out on the promenade And the gambling commission's hanging on by the skin of its teeth Everything dies, baby, that's a fact Maybe everything that dies only comes back Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty Meet me tonight in Atlanta City Well I ain't got a job, and I tried to put my money away But I got debts and no honest man can pay So I drew what I had from the Central Trust And I bought us two tickets on that Coast City bus Everything dies, baby, that's a fact Maybe everything that dies only comes back Put your makeup on, fix your hair up pretty And meet me tonight in Atlantic City Like for a second, give it up for the Lamont Street Band, Mark Williams. 
Number three. There it is. I realize I need to introduce the band, by the way. I haven't done that, and I'm really bad. I always forget doing that. This is Casey Toll on bass, ladies and gentlemen. James Wallace on keys tonight. Tim Carlos back with us on guitar. And Dan Hall on drums tonight. All right. All right. So now that you've heard the song, we've now seen the passage, let's sort of start teasing out some connections, things that maybe are not connected, right? Uh, Brandon, the way that he was looking at these two passages was, what's different between the two of them? So things that you see that seem to resonate, seems that things that don't seem to resonate between that song and the Beatitudes. Anybody? Gary, do you have thoughts? Well, for me... This, this song is, is uh, really similar to that first song that I ever heard that, that, that drew me in. I, 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 think that, I think about immediately that Christ did not hang out with the other religious leaders. He, he hung out with the tax collectors and, and, and sinners. And to me, the, the beauty of, of this song is that it doesn't glorify the person who's about to obviously commit a crime and it doesn't condemn. And part of what I think is so powerful about that, which I, I think reaches out to me as a, as a psychologist, is it's not judging because judging is bad in terms of the person. It's not judging because the problem isn't within the person, it's in the context that they have to exist in. And so there's something about Atlantic City that allows me to just spend some time with this guy and his girlfriend who's trying to figure out what the gamble is that he's about to commit because they want more than what this world is offering them. And, and so there's just a lot of sadness, but there's also just a lot of reminder that these are the meek. These are, these are the folks that are mourning, and these are the folks that are hungry for righteousness, but they might be pursuing something else right now. Yeah, James. I think there's also a... Universal idea that runs through both his music and these things, which is just a simple one of the soul of life is in suffering, and that people who suffer have more, like, you know, yeah. there's something there. Yeah, suffering absolutely. causes you to have that, you know, power. And, and Right. Yeah, which I think is a very sort of upside-down, gospel way of thinking about things, right? There's nothing that's particularly politically savvy or, or, or fiscally savvy about suffering, right? But it does seem to make sense in the context of the gospel. Yeah, anybody else sort of thoughts, connections? Vocational worlds, there's there's different temptations, 
in the kind of PhD world in cultural studies, it's the temptation to over-criticize, to just say it's it's really all going to shit. And, and write it in words that people don't understand, but still just say that. You know. And then the flip side is in ministry, um, the there's this temptation to over-promise. And I know I, I catch myself a lot of times, I, it was a discipline I started in my 20s, was to just even write down sometimes when somebody would come in to meet, you know, to say, don't tell them something that 10 years from now they're going to come back and say, you lied to me. And, and in that moment, it's really easy to overpromise because people want you to do that. They want you to say it will resolve in a, in a, a wonderful, beautiful way. And so there's, there has to be this space that exists between over-criticizing and utter despair and over-promising what will be. And, and the, what I've loved about the Beatitudes is, and, and Springsteen's music is it lives in between those two kind of false directions uh, of, of despair and kind of a, what Mark was talking about, that idea that, you know, it's just going to work out wonderfully. Mm -hmm. uh, just bite your lip and shut up. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's a great... T Jim. So there's a... Yeah, I think that's a great point. Did you have something to add? Yeah, you know, it, it reminds me there's a there's a, a really consistent parallel in, in Springsteen's work where uh, th there's, because the three of us were talking, the most important word in that song for us was the word maybe. Maybe everything that, that, that dies someday comes back. And so there's that acceptance of uncertainty, and there's this really interesting. Parallel where the, the characters in Springsteen songs that handle the uncertainty by gambling usually end up miserable. The ones that handle that uncertainty out of just faith end up fulfilled even if they don't have a lot. And so there's something about you know our relationship to the uncertainty and whether we do that out of gambling and hoping to win big or whether we do it out of faith and, and hope. So I, I want to put forward sort of three themes that I think uh, have emerged to us as pretty important and things that I'm hoping maybe we can uh, continue to think about. We have three more songs um, to, to sort of explore these themes. But I think there's three things that Springsteen's music does that are incredibly central to what I think the gospel is also doing, particularly in the Beatitudes. 
The first one is that Springsteen's music often positions itself on the side of the poor and the powerless. This is something we've come back to again and again um, throughout this summer sort of gospel series. This is something we saw in Nick Lowe's music, uh, something we saw uh, in Louis C.K. and The Wire, et cetera, et cetera, right? This is, uh, I think, such a core piece of what it means to see the world through a gospel lens, is to see the world through the eyes of the poor and the dispossessed. And I think one of the things that I've been thinking about all summer uh, was actually a comment that Wendy Renz made um, about when we had this text about uh, sort of in as much as you've done to the least of these when you have sort of clothe the naked or feed the hungry. Um, And Wendy sort of challenged us by saying, if we're not seeing naked and hungry people in our daily lives, we probably aren't around the types of people that we need to be around, right? Which I think is um, an incredibly important point that not only do we begin to sort of see the world through their eyes, but we begin to to find ourselves in community with uh, those poor and dispossessed folks. So that's, I think, one really important thing. Another one, and this is sort of what we were just getting at uh, with Jim's comment, is I think that Bruce Springsteen's music is incredibly incarnational, um, meaning that it's about the enfleshment of the gospel right here, right now. Um, I think, for me, one of the most compelling and endlessly fascinating ideas that Christianity has is this idea of the incarnation. Um, But I think all too often we get this doctrine put next to something like what what Mark was saying, which is a a total devaluation of this current life, right? That all of this is sort of a precursor to actual life, which is this this heaven, this promised after death. Whereas I I think if you're reading Incarnation and, and what it means that God became flesh, I think at least one of the things that it has to mean is that it can't be bad to be flesh. God becoming flesh has to be the ultimate affirmation of bodies and of flesh. And this is something we talked about a lot in the body series, but I think this is something that's hugely important for Springsteen, is this idea that this is all sort of happening in our midst, among us as fleshy creatures. And the third thing that I think is really important uh, here in music, and this is definitely something that has already come up, is that Springsteen and his music is always imagining the world to come. And I I use that language very specifically because this is where I think some of the Catholic upbringing comes in. For those of you who were raised Roman Catholic, you'll know at the end of the Nicene Creed every week, you would have said, I believe in the resurrection of the dead, the forgiveness of sins, and the life of the world to come. You would have said that every time you went to Mass. I think that's a hugely important part of what is shaping Bruce Springsteen's sort of vision is this Catholic imaginary of the world to come. Um, one of the uh, quote I think you said it was from a Guardian article, but Katrina had sent this uh, this morning. I th- there was such a perfect encapsulation of, of this point. Bruce Springsteen said, I spent most of my life as a musician measuring the distance between the American dream and the American reality. So the idea that I I think what his music does so powerfully is it does does catch a glimpse of a dream. It catches a glimpse of, as Tim was saying, this sort of promise. It catches a glimpse of something that is to come, but it never loses sight of the ways in which that isn't happening now and we want it to be happening. 
The ways in which we're constantly getting in the way of it happening in our midst and the ways in which um, it, we, we still are sort of at a great distance from, uh, from that dream being realized. So I, I, think that, I think that's a hugely important aspect uh, of, what, of what Springsteen's doing here. So being on the side of the poor and powerless I think is really important. Incarnation and then this idea of the world to come. And I think this world to come idea may be the most challenging um, but it's also one that we in Emmaus Way, I think, have, have particularly valued through our weekly liturgical practice. Um, for those of you who have been with us before, you know every week we have a space in our service for confession, absolution, and then Eucharist. And the reason that we do that is um, in some ways similar to other traditions. Uh, most liturgical traditions have a, some form of confession, absolution, and, and, and then the Eucharist. And in a lot of traditions, the confession is sort of a personal confession of personal sin. I think for us, it, the confession oftentimes takes on a slightly different flavor, which is that the confession for us represents an opportunity for what I'm going to call a holy Saturday moment. Um, in recent years, I have sort of come to the position that Holy Saturday might be one of the most significant days on the Christian calendar, and it's so often the one that gets sort of missed in the Christian calendar. And it's because it's this day where we're sitting in between the death of Christ on Good Friday and the resurrection on Sunday, and we're waiting in what I think Sarah Fox so aptly called last week the not yet. We're sitting in a space where... The, the hope that we thought we had is dead, and we're not sure what's coming next. And to genuinely occupy that space every week for us is in, incredibly formative for what that liturgical shape means. Because when we sit in that Good Friday moment, or that, that Holy Saturday moment, we, we then can see the resurrection begin to break in through the absolution of our community and particularly in the breaking of bread at the table. So tonight we actually have two songs of confession. Um, and so I want you to, to, to sort of occupy these as, as a bit of a Holy Saturday moment. I want you to remember uh, what Gary, I think, so aptly said. The most important word in, that, in uh, Atlantic City is the word maybe. Everything dies, that's a fact. But maybe everything that dies someday comes back. So please join us as we move into confession and absolution and then into the table. One of my challenges this week in, in putting the set list together was um, was just choosing what songs to do um, because as you hopefully begin to see there, there's a lot of depth and a lot of richness uh, here and, and I think it's telling that like this song almost didn't make the cut and he like he actually won an Oscar for this song and like we almost didn't do it tonight you know um, but Katrina and I watched this movie at Philadelphia uh, last Sunday night. And I, you know, I, I confess I had never seen it. When it came out, I think I was a freshman in college, maybe senior in high school, freshman in college, something like that. And so I, I don't, I don't know exactly why I didn't see it, but I, I just didn't see it. And it was always on my mind that hey, someday I should probably watch this film. So last week, sort of in preparation uh, for this week, we decided to watch it. And I, I what I appreciate so so much um, about about 
Bruce doing this song is is that at the time that uh, that Philadelphia as a film came out, there was still so much there there was still such a, a cultural lack of understanding about AIDS. There was um, there's so many moments in the film where like they they watch like you know Denzel Washington shaking. Uh, shaking Tom Hanks' hand and then kind of like looking at his hand of like, oh man, am I going to get AIDS from this handshake? And there are ways that this movie was trying to take um, was trying to take these ideas more public, right? And I think when Bruce said, yeah, I'll, I'll write the theme song for this, I think that it actually helped mainstream it even more, you know? And of course, Tom Hanks goes on and wins the Oscar himself, but it, but which gave it even more of a public platform. But I just, I really, really appreciated that Bruce said, yeah, I, I want to, I, I believe in this, and I want to call more awareness to this in a way that if I weren't involved, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been on the radio all the time, you know? So so that's that's where I'm coming from with this song. Um, we'll talk about Ghost of Tom Joe when we get to it, but this is Streets of Philadelphia. Tell what I felt I was unrecognizable to myself Saw my reflection in the window Didn't know my own fate So brother, you're gonna leave me Wasting away in the streets of Philadelphia La, 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 la Avenue to my legs Felt like stone I heard Voices of friends vanished and gone At night I could Hear the blood In my veins Just as Black and whispering as the rain On the streets of Philadelphia La 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 Ain't no angel gonna greet me It's just you and I, my friend My clothes don't fit me no more Walked a thousand miles Just slipped the skin I just fall in I'm lying awake I can feel myself fading away so receive me, brother, your faithless kids So will we leave each other alone like this On the streets of Philadelphia
So it goes to Tom Job. When Bruce wrote this song, he was uh, reading uh, Howard Zinn's uh, People's History of the United States. Guitar cables mixed. You do not want this going through a guitar amp. Let me tell you. And and I, what I love about this song, this is this is another one. I know I keep saying this is one of my favorite songs. This one really is actually one of my favorite songs. And we've done it a few times uh, here before, but I, I still and and I think since the first time we read, we've done it, I still haven't gone back and read Grapes of Wrath. And I apologize. I'm going to do that at some point, and I'll be able to tell you much more insightful things. But I will say that one of the things that struck me this week about this song is the, the final verse, which I love this final verse. Look at that thing. It says, Ma, wherever there's a cop beating a guy, wherever a hungry newborn baby cries, where there's a, a fight against the blood and hatred in the air, look for me, Ma, I'll be there. And it goes on from there. I, and like the line that keeps happening at the end of every verse is that we're waiting on the ghost of Tom Jode. And the grape's wrath, Tom, Tom Jode, is... is um, He's a follower um, of Jim Casey. Jim Casey, you'll notice the JC on that name. Steinbeck was, was certainly trying to channel um, the person of Christ. And so I, what, I, what I love about this confession is that we are sitting in the middle of this, of just all the crap, you know, all the stuff that's going on out there. We're sitting in the middle of this, and we're hoping, we're just sort of waiting that, that maybe, again, maybe, could Tom Joe just show up and sort of help make things right? And, and one of the things that I think of as part of our confession is what ways is Tom Jode already present? What ways in the city of Durham is Tom Jode at work? And could we maybe join in with that? Could we, could we maybe figure out where Tom Jode is and, and work on that with him? So this is, uh, this is the ghost of Tom Jode. I hope that it means something to you. Thank you for pointing that out. It'd be better if I do it in this key. Chopper's coming up over the ridge Hot soup on the campfire under the bridge The shelter line stretching around the corner Welcome to the new world order Family sleeping in the cars out in the south no home, no job, no peace, no rent. The highway's alive tonight. Nobody's kidding nobody about where it goes. I'm sitting down here in the campfire light, searching for the ghost of Tom Joe. He pulls a prayer book out of his sleeping bag. She lights up a button and he takes a drag Waiting for him to laugh, she'll be first and the first she'll be last In a cardboard box sneak the underpad You got a one-way ticket to the promised land With a hole in your belly and the gun in your hand So 
Sleeping on a pillow, solid rock Bathing in the city, I could tell But the highway's alive tonight Where it's headed, everybody knows I'm sitting down here in the campfire Waiting on the ghost of Tom Joe Fighting for the place to stand For a decent job Or a helping hand Wherever somebody's struggling To be free Look in their eyes My you see me Highways alive tonight Nobody's kidding Nobody about where it goes Down here in the campfire light With the ghost of old time Joe Yeah, the highway's alive tonight Nobody's kidding, nobody about where it goes I'm sitting down here in the campfire light With the ghost of old time Joe five of those to me. Uh, our song of absolution is The Rising. I, I, um, Bruce, Bruce wrote this song after September 11th, and you're going to see that imagery uh, in, in the song. You're going to see, um, you're gonna see the sky of, um, sky of fear, sky of uh, blackness. You're going to see all that stuff and all these images in there. The second verse he's writing sort of from the perspective of a firefighter that would have run into the building uh, to try to save people's lives. But I, th- I think it's while that is awesome, it's also way, 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 way bigger than that and way, way more universal than that. I can't imagine, you know, the job of saying, like, oh, man, this has just happened. How am I going to, um, you know, how am I going to somehow write something that captures some of this and captures stories? Um, but I, th- I think this song is much, much bigger in terms of maybe everything that dies does someday come back. How, how do we rise up as a people and create change and how do we become part of 
a movement that's bringing justice and mercy um, to the world around us, and how do we get influenced by that, and how do, how do our lives get changed by participating in it. So for Song Absolution, I'm going to ask you to stand up and sing with us tonight. Um, the chorus is, is pretty easy. I'll show you how it goes. chorus just goes like this. It says, uh, Come on up for the rising. Come on up, lay your hands in mine. Come on up for the rising. Come on up for the rising tonight. Think you can do that, guy?
garden In the garden of a thousand sides There's old pictures of our children Dancing in a sky filled with light May I feel your arms around me May I feel your blood mixed with mine Dream of life comes to me Like catfish dancing on the end of my life Sky of blackness and sorrow Dream of life Sky of love Sky of tears Sky of glory and sadness, dream of life. Sky of mercy, sky of fellas, sky of memory and shadow. for that again and again later. One of the, this summer, as we've looked at people like Bruce Springsteen and Louis C.K. and Karl Marx and The Wire and all of these things, one of the things that have made these lenses deeply powerful to us is where they locate us. And, and, and for me, what has made the gospel deeply powerful is where it locates us. And uh, Josh raised that question that the, the gospel locates us in this central space between something that's promised but hasn't arrived and, 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 and a reality that doesn't match that, uh, that hope and that expectation. And that's part of the deep, deep power of Springsteen's music because it's deeply honest. And we don't shrink back from the world we, we live in when we listen to that music. Um, Yesterday, um, Mimi and I, uh, in a small group of people, were at the Moral Monday uh, gathering, albeit on Saturday, and it, it, it was another one of those really unique locations. Uh, if you can imagine the, the geography of this, um, we were sitting at the Capitol, and there's this impressive building, 
And on the back end, there was a Saturday street party that was happening. I mean, people, music and playing and, and loud and tourists. And, and, and we were in the center of that space, but talking about things that you don't want to talk about. And the focus was education and criminal justice. But uh, a, a powerful testimony was the very last speaking that day. Uh, a, a, a man probably in his mid-40s got up, and he, he looked around, and, and he said... You know, I've never touched anyone inappropriately. I've never stolen anything from anybody. I've never been violent in any way, form, or fashion. But I've spent 25 years in my life uh, for a minor drug offense in prison. And then he, he said, and I want to tell you about my brother. Uh, I think his name was James Washington. And he just started weeping. And he couldn't stop crying, and, uh, and people consoled him. And he said, my brother has committed the same offense, and he's facing life in prison. And, and, you, and you look at that, and there we were in this strange space, this impressive building of government and justice and a street party on this end, and we were a gathered group of 100, albeit around microphones and, and all sorts of things. And, and in those moments, you, you have this deep question of where is it all going? And, and what, is, what sense can we make of the world that we live in? And, and uh, Josh and, and all the folks that were part of that uh, raised that question in such a powerful way that we see constantly in Springsteen's music. Uh, where is it all going? I, I think this was said earlier tonight, but the question that comes out of this often and the question that uh, I feel deeply in the gospel is, where is the fire? If the, if the, the highway is alive tonight, where does it go? Where does it land? Where does it lead? Where does the mystery revealed? Where is the redemption made real? We desperately yearn for that. We, we want it so badly. And we look at a world that seems to be deeply distant, not from the yearning, but from the resolution of that desire. And so where does it lead? Um, the answer for us as a community that gathers on a weekly basis is to me, uh, in one sense, could be profoundly disappointing, but, but for me is most, one of the most profoundly hopeful things is for us it leads to this table. This, this giving of food and, and wine and juice and bread to each other uh, in a way that's connected to a narrative, a narrative of hope a narrative of realization. Um, and so many times in the music tonight, we saw um, Bruce Springsteen say that the magic, the fire, the thing that really matters is made real in simple things like work, like food, like hope, like someone knowing your situation. And so for us, this table is not only our Holy Saturday experience where we stand in the middle, but it's also part of a narration that that which we hope for will and indeed can be made deeply real in the place that we are. Um, if you've been a part of Emmaus Way for a long time, you know for us, one of the things that's deeply sacred to us is that this is an open table. We, we invite everyone to share in this table. There's no boundary. There's no expectation. There's no line of doctrine. There's no uh, crafting your life in a certain way that makes you eligible. We're all uh, invited to this table. And in giving bread and in giving wine or juice, 
introduced to each other. We, we name it the body of Christ. We name it the blood of Christ. And we gather in a sense of, of our finding ourselves not just in that in-between space, but looking toward that re- re- resolution, not just in the future, but in the space that we live in right now. So I want to invite you to the table. Uh, if it's new to you, we practice a rowdy table in the sense that we, we feel very deeply that the conversations and the hugs and the laughs and the jokes and all of the things that happen around the table are the real of our life. And they are in some ways divine appointments for us as we remember each other's pain and we remember each other's joy and we just laugh about being in the presence of not only the laments of life, but the deep hope that Saturday has for it. So I ask you to stand now and I invite you to the table and uh, uh, as we typically do, break bread and pour uh, Pour a drink for the person that's around you. And if you'd like to, say the body of Christ, the blood of Christ. Otherwise, uh, encounter each other in this table of space, uh, of hope, and of uh, realization of the goodness of God that's present with us. Uh, Please join us at the table.